Hey, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Thank you for saying good morning. All right. Man, here we go. Let's, let's talk about Revelation. Let's talk about that last book of the Bible. Uh, I, we'll start, start by saying this. One of the goals we have as a church for you, for me, for all of us, is that every week when you come, you leave this place more enamored with, more in love with Jesus than when you walked in these doors. Okay? We want you to leave this place every week going, man, are you kidding me that God left heaven, came to earth, died, rose again, lived among us, loved us? What kind of God does that? Like, I, I hope that every week you get a glimpse of that and go, yes, love that guy. Part of that, so that's, that's a huge part of our goal. Another part of what we hope for and pray for is that we are constantly thinking, that we are learning to really process critically what we read in the scripture, that we wrestle real openly with doubt. You know, we're just honest about the stuff that's hard. And part of what we hope for, too, is that we look at very challenging parts of the Bible. There are parts of the Bible, trust me, if somebody gets up and talks about it, that are real easy to sit up here and talk about. There are parts of the Bible that are incredibly challenging to share. But those are so important. We do not want to be the kind of church that just conveniently omits some of those hard parts of the Bible. Today we are diving into one of the more challenging parts of the Bible. And I want to invite you on the journey today. Turn your thinking cap on. Not everything I'm going to say you may agree with, but let's, let's go through this together. A couple of weeks ago, we started a series on this last book of the Bible, Revelation. It was written by a guy named John who was kicked out of Rome, put on a, um, an island kind of uh, as a slave camp type deal, and he had a vision that God gave to him. It was the same John that was one of Jesus' disciples, had a vision that God gave to him about the future and what was coming. And he wrote it down. And so that is the book of Revelation. Incredibly just tons of metaphors, lots for us to speculate about. But most importantly, we want to look at what are the main themes here that matter. So a couple weeks ago, we did a full run through of the entire book we looked at. And you can go look at the stuff online if you want, if you want to catch up. But a couple weeks ago, we did a full run through of the book. You got a whole idea of what the different themes were. Last week... Bill shared about, uh, in chapters, I think, two and three, there's letters that get written to churches that are nearby, and we talked about what those are about. Today, we're going to continue looking at those major themes of Revelation, and we're going to look at, I think, one of the most challenging ones. And the theme is, we mentioned it a couple weeks ago, the theme in Revelation that keeps coming up is a theme around a word that a lot of us really don't like, judgment. Even when you say the word judgment, you can feel the heaviness. Well, at least I can. There's a heaviness behind that word judgment. And yet, man, I, I, was, looking, uh, I was looking through Revelation. Here, here's what you get. By, by my reading, in chapters, there's 22 chapters. In chapters 5, 6, 8, 9, 10, 14, 16, 18, 19, and 20, judgment is one of the biggest themes 
of, that, of this book that you're going to see in those chapters. It is a theme that comes up continually. If you want to talk about Revelation and you want to skip the topic of judgment, you're not actually talking about the book of Revelation. We've got to look at this together. I want to read you how this culminates. So all through those chapters, you're seeing judgment being poured out on the earth, earthquakes and locusts and just all these symbolic metaphors of kind of things that you go, oh, man, God is definitely winding down time. And he has an opinion on how things have gone in some way. And he is saying no more. You're getting that over and over again. And it culminates with this. Let me, let me this, is, this is, these are some of the most terrifying words of the Bible I'm going to read to you. So check out chapter 20, uh, verses 11 through 15. I'm going to read it off the screen. And I saw a great white throne. This is John writing his vision. I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. Oof. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. All these people, all, every one of us that has died. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Okay, just stop and sit with that one for a second. How does that sound? The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Does that feel heavy? Whew. Man, I, I read that and I'm like, holy cow. I just, there is some terrifying words and imagery there. And, and you know, to the extent that things are literal and not literal and metaphoric, I mean, I, it's over my head. But I know that John is describing things as he's seeing them in this vision. And what's, what's important for us is to look at it and go, okay, what do we do with that? We make sense of these kinds of things. Um, I, when I think of judgment, part of what I immediately think of is I've actually spent some time in the South. So I... I went to Baylor for one year and then transferred to CU, uh, but my dad used to live in Mississippi, so I would go visit my dad in the summertime as a kid, and I'd go down there, and we would be part of this little church down there, and when I, when I think of judgment, I think of, like, southern preachers, uh, and it just, oh, like, I could just, I recoil at it. I, I think of um, scare tactics. Has anybody, have you ever been... Uh, somebody that someone has tried to scare you into heaven, like, you know, like just put on pressure, fire, brimstone, fear, you know, like I, I actually was part of a camp. I, I didn't realize this when I went to work for them, but I actually worked at a camp one summer when I was in college and I didn't realize what their staff motto was till I got there. The staff motto of the camp, and this works with kids, the staff motto of the camp was time is short hell is hot. <laughs> that was the theme of the camp. I was like, oh, okay. I see how it is. So, I mean, do you ever notice how some people actually take joy in this topic? Like there's, there's some kind of joy that in the end God would separate people and some people would be separated from God forever? Like it's like, woo, you know, like they're pumped about it. And you've seen those guys, they're, they have signs on the side of the road and they yell at you and 
you know, at the UMC, whatever. Like there's, 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 it's, it's just amazing that there's people out there who actually take joy. I just say, run away, you know, run away. And yet, what do we do then with this topic? Uh, C.S. Lewis, if, if you've never read any C.S. Lewis, you sh- just please do. And, and he, um, his book, Mere Christianity, if it's not something you've read, you ought to grab it and read Mere Christianity. He is, in Mere Christianity, talking about how he feels like, um, for him, atheism, the idea that no God exists, is too simplistic of a worldview. And so he's writing about this, but then he says this. He says, okay, very well then, atheism is too simple. And I will tell you another view that is also too simple. It is the view I called Christianity and water. I haven't figured out why he calls it that, but Christianity and water. The view which simply says there is a good God in heaven and everything is all right. Leaving out all the difficult and terrible doctrines about sin and hell and the devil, and then look at what he adds, and the redemption. He, he, he hits you with the, with the good at the end. Both these, says C.S. Lewis, are boys' philosophies. These are like little kids. This is kid stuff. You haven't become an adult yet if you haven't actually dealt with this. It's no good asking for a simple religion. After all, real things are not simple. It's just fantastic words. Guys, we want our faith to be real. And part of the reality then is we have to look at some of the topics that are the very most challenging and dive into them. So what are we going to do with this theme that we see over and over again of judgment? Here's, here's the deal I'm making with you today. I'm going to give you two options. I'm going to give you option one, option two on how you can respond personally to this idea of judgment. And I'm going to give you my thoughts on them. But here's option one. Many people choose this. Option one says there is no judgment. Here's, here's the philosophy. Guys, you think about God. You think about the Jesus that we read about. You go, how could God be anything but incredibly loving? If God is so loving, how is there any idea that God would actually, in the end, take someone and push them away and say, forever you're going to be apart from me? For someone that would choose this option, they look at the character of God and go, that is completely inconsistent than what we see in God. And so I understand that the Bible talks a lot about judgment. You see Jesus talk about judgment. It's in the Gospels, all through the uh, letters. It's in Revelation. But those are all metaphors. There actually is not a judgment. This philosophy got a ton of steam 150 years ago in the 1800s, this thing rolled, and it still rolls today. If you're ever out there and you drive by a church that says um, universalism on it or universalist, that's because what their thought is, God will universally save all people, period, end of story. He's too loving. There is no way that God would ever send somebody away. So universally, that's what happens. Universalism has gotten a ton of play in uh, many churches that aren't called universalists, especially some of the kind of old mainline churches. Not true of all of these churches by any means, but a lot of churches that are Lutheran, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, a lot of them have molded into universalist churches. The idea that God is so loving that there's no way that he would ever do this. I just got to say, stop and think for a second. As I'm describing this, isn't there a piece of you that goes, yes, that's what I want too. 
man, I'd, I'd love to just end this talk right now and go, yep, that's what I believe. Science, we're going to change the name Ascent Universalist Church right outside. It's going to be awesome. That, that, don't you feel that? I want that simple of an answer. Here's what I want to ask you to do, though. Just go with me on these two things. I got two problems with this. I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I want to dive into this a little bit deeper right now. I want you to pretend for a second that you are somebody that has had someone else who is totally into you and you are not totally into them. Like you got somebody in your life that's like got such a crush on you and like, you know, has been after you forever and you're just actually totally not into it. Let me ask you this. How would you feel if that person had the power to force you to be with them forever? You don't want to. You're not into it. You don't, it's not who you are. But they actually have the power to force you into a relationship with them. Guys, would you still call that person loving if they did that? Guys, that's not love. That's slavery. The idea that God loves everybody so much that he would have everyone with him in eternity, forever with him, even people that absolutely do not want to be, it sounds great, but you start to poke on that philosophy for a second and you go, that isn't loving. That is, that's not love. In fact, that like kind of terrifies me. C.S. Lewis has another thing where he says, in the end, every person will actually get what they want. If you, if you want to be following God for eternity, you've lived your life that you, you love him, you'll get what you want. If you don't, if you've lived your life in a different way, God will not force you into that. You will get what you want. Dallas Willard, another guy, uh, has this great line where he says, heaven is actually for people who can stand it. Right? If you can stand being in a relationship with God and with other people forever in an incredible space like heaven is, like God, God says yes. If you've lived your life in such a way that is absolutely against community, against God, God will not force you into that. The idea in, in my mind, the idea that says God is so loving that he will have everybody in, actually you start to poke at it, it just doesn't work. There's another problem with it though too. If there is no judgment, I also think there's actually no morality. If, if God actually is not having a standard of morality and ethics, what in the world are we doing? I, I, I would just say, man, you ought to be out there doing everything you can to get everything you can if there is nothing in the end. There's no morality. I actually, you stop and think about this. I am so glad, you, you think, Somewhere, some, you know, some person today, maybe it's a little guy who owns a farm somewhere in this world is going to have his land somehow forcibly taken from him. And that guy is not going to be able to kind of feed his kids, not going to be totally unethical. I am so glad that there's a God who actually cares about that is going to say something in the end about it. I am so glad there are people today who are out there who are selling heroin, getting fat off selling that stuff to high school kids. God's going to say something in the end about that. 
I am glad for that. There is some girl today who is going to be raped by somebody that they trust. God in the end is like, nope, that's not okay. There are some kids today that are getting put into an orphanage somewhere that are going to have no care, no one touching them, holding them. There's going to be no attachment to anybody, any kind of parent. They're going to live the rest of their lives in that kind of pain. God's like, no, that is not okay. That's the kind of world I want to live in where there actually is a God who cares so much that there is a right and a wrong and there is judgment on those things in the end. Now, some people, some people would say, hey, if you believe in a judging God, that probably makes you as a Christian judgmental. And sometimes you guys know Christians get like the worst reputation for being some of the most judgmental people, which is so funny. Because if God is actually the judge, doesn't that free us up to not do it? I mean, I I look at it and go, I'm free to not judge anyone else because I know that God actually, who knows what he's doing, can judge. I'm free to be the most nonviolent person I can be. I'm free to not get revenge on you because I know that God actually cares and has something to say in the end. If not, if there is no judgment, then like sign me up for vigilante school right now. Because there's so much out there, the stuff I read and a million other stories we could share that demands that somebody do something about it. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do anything about it now, but it frees me from being judgmental and getting revenge. Just the opposite of what people think about this. Guys, here's the deal. If there is no judgment, there is actually no hope. Because everything in my mind is meaningless. We can just go out and do whatever we want. No, there's hope that comes with judgment. I'm just putting forth the case. I hope you don't choose option one. Right? I'm open to you buying me lunch and telling me I'm wrong. But option one. So that leads us. Here, here's the next option. So I promise you two options. Here's, here's option two. You guessed it. Option two says there is a judgment. So this is great, right? End of story. There is a judgment. I just got to say option two kind of freaks me out too. Let, let, me, read, let me read this line again to you. Uh, it says, this is, this is from the passage I read earlier. It says, The books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. All were judged according to their deeds. So I had this friend in high school, uh, this guy named Chet. And Chet was this funny guy, and Chet uh, made this joke that he thought was hilarious. And he would say, yeah, you know how, like, there's supposed to be this final judgment? He's like, I think it's going to be a slideshow. And so whenever you do anything wrong, God takes a picture, and at the end, there's going to be this huge slideshow and so of all the stuff you did wrong. And so I, um, whenever any one of our friends would do something wrong, uh, Chet would just go, slideshow. You know, and that, he's hilarious. He was, he's, one of those, he's a genuinely funny guy. So here, here's the problem. I am terrified that my slideshow is going to be like five weeks long. Like, especially compared to some of you guys. Like, I, I just, 
I picture my slideshow as being like this huge like film fest that goes on for days. And your slideshow is like the trailer, you know, that lasts like, um, like 30 seconds. And I was reminded this week of this. So check this out. So uh, we, we've lived in this building for four years now. We're on a month-to-month lease. Uh, we've been that way for four years. And we hope to be that way until we move into our new building. But it's always a little tenuous. And our, our uh, owner is this great guy named Tom. I love him. But this week, Tom made me mad. He called me and he said, um, you know, Jim, uh, I've got somebody else that I want to rent the garage to. Back here, there's a garage like behind that wall where the Sam's people used to change tires and stuff. And he's like, not only do they want the garage, they want that long hallway that goes down to the bathroom. I'm like, Tom, you can't, you can't rent away our long hallway. So if you go back in that back hallway there, right behind this wall, there's all our stuff with, um, it's our storage. We got tons of children's stuff. Uh, mothers of pre-mops puts their stuff back there. Women's Bible studies got their stuff back there. Uh, student ministries has a ton of stuff back there. It's, we've worked hard on the, it's like really organized, this huge long haul. Tom's like, Tom on Wednesday tells me, yeah, you got to get the stuff out by Friday. And I'm like, what? No. So I'm fighting him back. And he finally says to me, oh, Jim, you know what? You're doing a great thing. He's like, we, we're going to rent this out to uh, some tutors that work with ADD and ADHD kids. And so you're really doing a great thing, man, by, by flexing. And I'm like, furious, you know? I, I'm like, I'm not only mad at Tom. You know who else I got mad at? I'm mad at the HD, ADHD tutors. I've never met them before. I don't know. They're great people, I'm sure. They're doing amazing things. I'm seriously plotting how do we build a wall back there so I never need to see the ADD tutors again because I'm so mad. So I walk in and I, I find Kayla, our children's pastor. I go to Kayla and I'm like, Kayla, can you believe this? And, and she's the one who's most affected by this. I'm like, I can't believe this. You know, these kids are going to be in the garage and they're going to take the hallway. And you believe that? Kayla goes, yeah, we can't let them be in the garage. I'm like, you're darn right we can. I'm going to fight Tom. She goes, oh, no, that's not what I mean. What do you mean? We can't let those kids be in the garage. Garage is a terrible place for kids to be in. We're gonna, I'm going to talk with them, and we're going to figure out how we can share our space with them so that those kids can come into the tire center, and we're just going to let them in there. And I swear, I, I looked at her, and I paused, and I, the only words I could think of were, I hate you. She's got like five slides, you guys. Film fest. Every dumb thing I've done, every thought I've had that's wrong, all the stuff that goes on in my heart, that's a long film thing that goes on. Judgment sounds awful to me. Here's the funny thing. If the standard in judgment is on a curve, I'm in trouble. <laughs> but actually, kind of interesting. If, if what we're looking for is people that can live with God forever in eternity, I actually think Kayla's in trouble too. Even those few slides are trouble. Mother Teresa, she's in trouble. We're kind of all in trouble. 
If we're up against a standard that's higher than any human being can meet, the Bible's like real clear, actually, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin are death. Like, we're, we're in trouble. The slideshow is going to be bad for all of us. It leads me that option two makes me think, actually, if there is judgment, there is no hope. So I hope Roy just hangs in there and never dies. Micah, eat your fruits and vegetables, buddy, because, you know, I hope you live a long life. Those two options sound pretty grim. Can I give you a third option? I lied. My slideshow got longer. There's a third option. I want to share it with you. Here's what option three says. Option three says we actually live between two judgments. We live between two judgments. There's a judgment that has already happened. Guys, when it talks in there that the book of life is open and names are read, every single person in that book did not earn their way there. Only way you get in that book of life is if there's a cross next to your name. It says, you know what? Man, I know how long my slideshow is. I have given my life. I have trusted in Jesus who came and died for me. The book of Galatians, this, this book that, uh, letter that Paul wrote, one of the things he says in there is so great. It just makes you think. He says, if you could actually earn your way in to right standing with God, if you could... Um, Find your way in the book by the stuff you did that was better than, you know, if Kayla could earn her way in. Paul says, then Christ died for nothing. What was the point? What's the point of getting hung on that cross with nails in you if you could have just done it on your own? No, the point of the cross is you can't do it on your own, and Jesus died for us, and the judgment already happened in that space. That's good news. Sign me up for that. Look at what Romans 8 says. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. You see that? Who then will condemn us? No one, no one's going to condemn you. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose again for us. And now he advocates for us. The judgment has already happened. Now, I was telling somebody this week this, and the, the immediate response was like, great. Why doesn't he just teleport us out of here then? What's the point of life? Judgment's done. Well, what are we living for? We live between two judgments. If you've given your life to Christ and said, I'm trusting you, you have been judged already. But we are living toward a second judgment. And here, here's what this is. And we're, this next week, we're going to dive into this. We're going to dive into the idea that Jesus, in, in Revelation, you see him return again. And one of the things that Jesus talks the most about in returning again is he asks the question, are you ready? Are you ready for my return? Now, the second judgment, for, for 
people that would say, I don't want to live with God my life, you get what you want in that scenario. For those of us who have trusted humbly, so humbly trusted and said, okay, God, I trust you. I'm trusting in this judgment that you did for me on the cross. The second judgment looks at us and says, are we ready to live? Are we the kind of people that have become a person that would be at home in heaven? What, what would it look like for you to spend our lives expanding God's kingdom at every single turn, every single avenue that we possibly can expand what God is doing in this world because that's what we'll be doing for all eternity. The second judgment looks at that and next week we're going we're gonna to look more at that too. Here's, here's what I hope you get today. I hope you choose option three. I hope you look at your life as, Lord, I've trusted you, the judgment has already happened, and yet now I am living my life in such a way to expand the kingdom and wherever it is that God's planted you to be ready for the future, to be ready for what I'm going to be doing forever. I hope you choose option three, but most of all, I hope you choose Jesus. And if you've never had that moment or you know, sometime in your life where you've gone, yes, I, I believe this, I see that it's good news, and I'm in. You can do that. It it's, starts just so simply saying, God, I don't actually get all this, but I trust you. I want to follow you. Man, that's my hope for us today. So I hope you'll be back next week so we'll get rolling again with this. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that there is an option three. Thank you that you, uh, you love us enough that you actually came and you died for us. That you've already cast judgment on us. Amazing. God, I just want to trust that today and remember that. Let that, God, for this church and for each individual in this room, drive us to be the most humble people in this city. Because we know we haven't earned a anything on our own. It has come from you. So God, I pray that for our church, that we would be humble and gracious and aggressively be out there trying to expand your kingdom for good. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.